near Boston, Massachusetts, is a town named Braintree. This episode is not about Braintree. Anyone who has written mass transit around Boston may have noticed this odd name as well as another, Alewife, and one would be forgiven for trying to pronounce it. But good luck doing that with Braintree. Indeed, the name is Alewife, and although we don't use the term anymore, Boston is an old enough city to remember Brewster's and their history. While the famous Salem witches are commonly thought to have been burned, they were actually hung or crushed. Our modern version of witches look more like alewives than Puritans. Why is that? Perhaps the plain, non-threatening clothes of the Puritans no longer frighten us. Perhaps there is more to the story. Before the Great American Liquor Company started stocking package stores, medieval English families were more localized and the women of the house produced most of what the family needed. A housewife was expected to maintain the home, raise children, and make money. One could sell knitting, for example, but a different commodity was more desirable and profitable. Ale is like beer but with wheat instead of hops. In addition to baking bread every day, many wives would also brew tasty potions, including medicine. Although not all cats are black, many alewives kept felines to patrol for rodents for the same reason as the ancient Egyptians, to protect their grain stores. Another useful implement was a broom. No AOI flew while riding one, but some mounted a broom outside their house as a symbol that they sold ale. Brooms were useful not only for keeping the floor tidy, but also for beating grain apart, as well as cleaning dusty carpets. I'm sure an alewife or two attacked rodents with her broom. Many people were illiterate and could not read a sign, but everyone knew symbols, as the church made heavy use of them. Cauldrons as a symbol developed from a simple cast iron stew pot one that could cook or brew any number of foods and medicines. The word witch shares meanings with wit, wisdom, and wise. Witchcraft refers to wisecraft, the kinds of skills and recipes a woman would have accumulated after cooking and caring for her family. This kind of education is not easily turned into an academic curriculum and was probably learned from family. Wise also can mean pliable, as in witch hazel, describing wood that can bend without breaking. Indeed, witchcraft, as we know it, does seem to concern many different skills, and Wicca does have a natural philosophy where being flexible can mean survival or death, as we weather the storms of life, hoping to flex, but not snap. Many people may still prefer the first meaning for witch hazel, as it is popular as a soothing skin remedy and has been for centuries. It's an old potion. Mesopotamian brewers were women, and the trade was primarily female until one large event. In England, the timing coincides with the bubonic plague, or Black Death. Society all but collapsed, and corpses were everywhere. It was truly a dark time which set back European society until Arabs arrived with knowledge of disease prevention and hygiene. Throughout this time, 
People try to survive and continue living as they had been, but the culture was changing. Ale goes bad quickly, and so was produced continually across the community. In medieval Europe, the water quality was so poor that alcoholic beverages like mead, ale, beer, and wine were preferred and tasted better than their drinking water. Indeed, they were safer to consume. Before beer made with hops reached England, ale was preferred to wine as it was easier to make. However, due to frequent spoilage, the industry was suited to localized houses in every neighborhood. Being an alewife was an attractive profession for English women during the Dark Ages. It was not the most arduous work and paid fairly well. In addition, demand for alcohol is a fairly constant need in many societies, especially European ones. Although medieval people were not alcoholics, the drinks were widely consumed by everyone in place of water. Added calories were a bonus where starvation is a threat. The social effect of having an occupation such as an alewife had some far-reaching ripples. For a young unmarried woman, or a widowed older woman, there were not many options for income. Financial security was intended to be handled by husbands and fathers. However, many of these women found steady income from selling a commodity they probably already brewed anyway. Then the Black Plague hit, and around 1530 AD, it would be the area where brewing changed from a female occupation to a male-dominated one. In trying to consolidate profits and regulate quality, the English began to constrict local alewives with many rules and taxes. Eventually, the work was no longer worth the money to brew for most unmarried women. Those who survived this period did indeed become wealthy, but the culture of ale had changed completely. Women who may have once sold their own ale for profit might now work for a male tavern owner. That is like turning a chef into a waiter. Unmarried women tended to work as alewives on a temporary basis, in general, before or between husbands. Instead of running a tavern, they would usually sell ale from the home. Married women, however, had a rather different experience as a brewster. Having access to both financial and social power via their husband, married Brewsters were able to expand production while retaining autonomy from their husband as a fairly equal partnership. These women paid their own taxes and usually maintained their power over the household. Her husband would also brew, but he was more valuable as their spokesman in social regards such as holding a guild membership. This dynamic created power couples who would make a good deal of money in medieval England. Some of these relationships are reminiscent of Roman ones, and much culture of the Romans was still evident at this time in England. After the plague, laws began to grow into place, which changed the industry. Unmarried Brewsters found it increasingly difficult to make a profit while married couples were able to eat up the market and hoard profits. This started the war on alewives. Social perceptions of the trade were manipulated in such a way that independent women had a more difficult time. Many regulations were introduced. An age limitation was imposed 
that only young and old women could brew ale, intending more sexually valuable women to be used as wives. Then the propaganda began. Poems and stories were written. Drawings were published and disseminated. At this time, most of that creative energy was hoarded by the upper class. In this case, though, the intended audience was the average peasant, who probably knew several alewives. Although historic records of offenses, such as watering down the ale to cheat a customer, were recorded evenly, women bore all the blame. They were ridiculed as disobedient and sexually deviant, tempting and luring men away from God. The culture turned on its old tradition of the wise elderly women who knew the best recipes and techniques. In recovering from the plague, no doubt those in charge felt that some radical changes were necessary. However, they operated on the ancient principle of blame your problems on the poor. The powerful church was cracking down on the vice of alcohol and the fate of the alewife was sealed. The propaganda increased and every Sunday the congregation would be fed a diet of vitriol by word and in pictures. Brewsters were exaggerated and depicted as sinful, evil women deserving of hell. They would tempt holy men with their bodies. They would cheat you, and worse, endanger your immortal soul. The church manifested the demon of alcohol abuse, and it looked like an alewife. Her symbols picked up those dark connotations. In the ignorance following the plague, people didn't know what to believe. They clung to the hope that the church would make their lives easier if they cooperated. And they did cooperate. Some time would pass before Boston would name a train stop Alewife. Early settlers evidently still knew about Alewives during the 17th century. In fact, a famous, or infamous, Brewster from Oxford was called Mother Louse. She is depicted in period clothing, complete with a tall black hat. No doubt her costume was too normal-looking to make a villain. Over time, the character of an alewife was separated from the workforce and became a new figure, one more spiritually charged and dangerous than a simple old woman could be. All this would simmer and stew in a large black cauldron in the New World until something unexpected happened. English colonists encountered Mexicans. Before the Spanish-American War, England was focused on developing the East Coast. Having separated from England, America pushed westward and south into Aztec land. Little time was wasted in depicting hell-bound savages who sacrificed children and cannibalized people. One curious tradition was extracted into American culture, Dia de los Muertos. Still spiritually cautious, Americans grabbed onto the idea that during one special night each year, the boundaries between the living and the dead are eroded. Rather than spend the holiday in reverence to past ancestors, Americans toyed with the supernatural and piled on similar cultural artifacts like Ouija boards and seances. It was risky behavior playing with pagan religions, but people felt protected by their faith and the witch trials were history. All the symbols of anything spiritually deviant were gathered up onto that one day, 
All Hallows' Eve, on October 31st. All Saints' Day, as it was also called, was a holiday that would give itself to become Halloween. Various aspects of European culture would combine to create a novel occasion where average Americans could vent some of their frustrations with society. It was a special night where kids could dress as a villain and do villainous things. Pranks are tolerated so long as they are no more lethal than eggs and toilet paper. The idea of recruiting demons as allies perhaps began with alchemy, as gargoyles were recruited to scare off bad spirits near churches. Vampire and werewolf stories from Eastern Europe fit right in thanks to Bram Stoker. In fact, these two monsters seem to have common origin stories. Some stories describing vampires today would sound more like a werewolf description. Mary Shelley would change history with her story of a mad inventor looking to create life. The important question being, would that animated body have a soul? By this time, all the ingredients were in the cauldron, and what we know as Halloween was a yearly ritual in America. In the 1920s, there was a revival of ancient Egyptian style. With the opening of King Tut's tomb, Americans began their love affair with that ancient civilization. The story of a curse related to Tut was all the fodder our imaginations needed to transform a sacred embalming process into necromancy. And thus, the mummy became a standard Halloween character. The black and white movie certainly didn't hurt the effort. Movies are beloved by Americans and would go on to cement together all the ghouls we associate with the classic monsters. Except for maybe the Invisible Man. In 2021, there seems to be no limit to what can constitute a Halloween costume. The alewife herself has morphed into the old hag, the unhinged crone, maybe delirious with dementia or demons. Ironically, the sexual aspects have been removed from her. No longer does a witch seduce men. That job has been taken over by a whole category of slutty costumes, which give young women a way to express their sexuality against cultural norms, just as young men vent their aggression via tricks and treats. The closest character to the way young alewives were portrayed is probably the slutty Oktoberfest beer wench costume. Most young women who don these outfits probably have little idea that both the witch and the barmaid are essentially halves of the same character, much like vampires and werewolves were. We have created a new pantheon of Halloween monsters, adding modern ideas like robots and aliens to the mix. There is an unavoidable link to Europe, however, and most of these creatures are thought to be from the Old World, more mysterious and esoteric than American haunts, and often centuries older. How can you have a story about an immortal monster who originates in America? Would it be all the more threatening if rather than 100 years old, he were 300? How much more powerful would an ancient being become? How would they react to the modern world? We seem to need Europe's age in this regard. Many other supernatural creatures 
have been adapted over time here. Elves, golems, fairies, Chinese dragons, we get all of them via European origin. Still, one monster remains as a character who was born here, and stays to do evil. One not 500 years old, but still powerful and mysterious. She is a character who reminds us that we all grow old and change appearance. She remembers ancient remedies and curses. She can combine the right disgusting ingredients to create wondrous magical potions or divine the future from animal entrails. She uses her broom to fly, which is a perversion of its intention. She can speak to animals like cats or snakes. She is robed in black, the better to move unseen at night. Her hat has become pointy and menacing. Don't drink her potions as she is the witch. <laughs>